Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. With you this evening. This, this evening's message entitled, The Church, Pillar and Ground of the Truth. And that title is based on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I think it's one of the most significant verses in all the Bible. And if you are a serious believer, this is a verse that you need to understand, you need to appreciate, and you need to commit yourself to. We're reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where it says, These things, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his young assistant, Timothy, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and here it is, this is so significant, this is so profound. The pillar and ground of the truth. There is only one organization that is described as the pillar and ground of the truth. And it's Bible-believing churches like ours. Do you understand the significance of that? We are the pillar and ground of the truth. You say, well... How important is that, and how does that relate to us today? Well, let me share with you um, an excerpt from an article that I read this morning, and I'm going to show you how it relates to this verse. I found this article uh, online on the Christian Post, which I consider to be a reputable Christian online magazine, I guess you would uh, call it. And it's an article written by Wallace Henley, And the article that he wrote was entitled, When Culture Captures the Church. When culture or the world captures the church. You do know we are in an ongoing spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. The world and Satan against the church. It's a real battle going on. You know, when you got, when you got saved, you really, you you didn't get on a cruise ship, you got on a battleship. In heaven, it'll all be good. We won't have to worry about stuff. But right now, we're in a battlefield. And you just have to understand that. And that shouldn't discourage you. And this article talks about that battlefield. And you're probably not going to believe what I'm about to read to you, but I've heard it before, and then this just reminded me of it. This Wallace Henley writes, and it's not going to be on the screen, so just listen, please. He says, The newly passed, but not yet law or the newly passed California Assembly Concurrent Resolution 99 requires, okay, this is a law passed in uh, California, but he says not yet law, requires ministries, their pastors and counselors, to cease any approaches to sexual identity counseling based on what they call stigmatizing beliefs that do not conform to current LGBT views. This law is going to require that preachers cannot reach out and help transgender, 
gay, you can't do it. Because you're stigmatizing them by assuming that they are wrong. It's been passed in the law. Now, well, apparently it's not yet law because of this. But do do you understand what we're talking about here? I mean, if somebody came, if I lived in California and a transgender came into my office and said, I want help, I'd have to say, I can't help you. No matter how bad I want to. In America, it goes on to say, such therapies, according to them, such therapies amount to psychological torture and mental health malpractice. That's what they would say to me. If I tried to help a gay person go straight, I guess would be the way of saying it, then I would be accused of psychological torture, mental health malpractice, in the view of the lawmakers voting for the resolution. And he puts in here, approved on strict party line. I'll let you guess. The latest gambit from California, just one more attempt to force religious institutions into cultural conformity. In other words, they're calling the shots. They, the world, lost people with no moral compass, are the pillar and ground of the truth. There are many in political power or seeking it who will not be satisfied until churches and other religious bodies are captives of contemporary culture. We must conform to them. They are not going to conform to us. Sadly, many churches are playing into the hands of the cultural tyrants. The mainstream liberal church has yielded to the authority of culture by casting aside, by casting aside faith and political, not political, by casting aside faith in biblical revelation and its authority. In other words, liberal churches today are letting the culture call the shots. They're, they're abandoning the authority of God's word. He says, evangelical, charismatic, and Pentecostal churches have made themselves vulnerable by allowing style to drive and displace sound theology. It's what's popular. It's what people want. That's what's driving many of the modern liberal churches today. It goes on to say, whether it's the liberal church that has shoved aside biblical teaching and embraced contemporary culture's view on sexuality and other issues, or the prosperity gospel that even Benny Hinn has now rejected, or the evangelical church that has become so attractional, let me read this, this guy stated this well, or the evangelical church that has become so attractional that it is little more than a spiritual Starbucks. That's a good description of a lot of churches today. Where they will not preach the truth, where they do not believe the Bible's the final authority, they have become, what did he call them? Little more than a spiritual Starbucks. Cultural captivity is stifling the stabilizing authority of the word. Cultural captivity is stifling the stabilizing authority of the word and the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. What we see here in articles like this, this is reporting the growing trend of churches violating what Paul taught Timothy. Paul was teaching Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And we are to stand for the truth no matter what. And it is the truth that stands in the way of 
cultural liberalism, which will ultimately lead to cultural corruption and all sort of societal ills that is going to make life miserable for everybody, perhaps far beyond our wildest dreams. So let's look at this passage in 1 Timothy where he states that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The book of Timothy is considered a pastoral epistle. By that it means Paul is instructing Timothy on how to pastor. And any pastor worth his salt is going to look at this and take it personally. Not only is what Paul taught uh, Timothy right for Timothy, but what Paul taught Timothy... uh, extends through all of time and applies to us today. That's why we pastors study what we call the pastoral epistles, Timothy and Titus, and because we take it personally that Paul is teaching us. I like what Charles Spurgeon says here. Paul's design in this epistle was to instruct young Timothy how he should behave himself in the church of God so as to discharge his office as minister, evangelist, and pastor with honor to himself and profit to the people. He reminds him that the church is the house of God, and in God's own house a man ought to be upon his best behavior, for it is no light thing to draw nigh unto the Lord. It's no light thing. When you draw nigh unto the Lord, it's serious business. It is not up for us pastors to wing it. It's not up for us pastors to do things like we see fit. It's not up to us pastors to stick our finger in the air and see which way the wind is blowing and go with it. Not a true pastor anyway. So this is the Apostle Paul teaching Timothy how to pastor, and in teaching him how to pastor, he, he concludes at this section by saying, listen, I'm teaching you how to, how to behave or how to administrate the house of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, you go back to chapter 1, he's teaching Timothy about false teachers. You could go back and review that. He's teaching that Christ came to save sinners. In chapter 2, he teaches on prayer. He teaches on the role of women in the church. In chapter 3, he teaches on the qualifications of pastors. And then he teaches on the qualifications of deacons. And then in verse number 14, and 15 is where he comes to say, okay, I've shared all this with you because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It is important to get it right. One, one preacher wrote and said, Paul's purpose for writing was to give Timothy, as a leader, practical information on how to run things in the Ephesian church. And it's practical information for me on how I'm supposed to run things in the church at Mayo, even though it's 2,000 years later and on a continent far away from where it was originally written. So Paul is telling Timothy how to run things, and he uses the term, in the house of God. He uses that term in that passage. And again, I like what one writer says, the house of God. The church must be very consciously the place where God is. This makes a church more attractive than anything else. I put that in there because I love that. You know, we're trying to reach people. There's a lot of different ideas on how you're supposed to reach people. And I just love that statement there where he says, the house of God, the church must be very consciously the place where God is. This makes a church more attractive than anything else. When people come to Mayo Baptist Church, they should not see a bunch of petty, immature Christians. 
They should not, he, they should not see people with personal agendas. They should, not, they should not see people with a chip on their shoulder. They should not see people just acting immature in whatever way you can think of that being uh, demonstrated in a church. They should see a place that is different. They should see a place where something is different. God is there. These people come and meet with God. And that's what he's telling Timothy. It's the house of God. One writer said, and I don't have it on the screen, the church is God's house because he is the architect. He is the builder. He lives there. He provides for it. He is honored there. And he rules there. It is the house of God. That's the way we should think of this place. It's not, it's not my personal little kingdom to, to reign over. This is God's house. And if, if we're burdened for the lost in, in this community and the, and the surrounding area, one of the best ways that we can influence this community is have a, a church that is real, a church that is authentic, a church is genuine, a church where people sense there's a difference there, and the difference is the presence of God. He goes on to call it, Paul does in talking to Timothy, the church of the living God. And I like what Albert Barnes said about that. He says, this seems to have been added to impress the mind of Timothy with the solemn nature of the duty which he was to perform. It's the church of the living God. What he did pertained to the honor and welfare of the church of the living God, and hence he should he should feed the import, or feel the importance of the correct deportment and of a right administration of its affairs. It is the church of the living God. It's not in an ownership sense. It's not your church. It's not my church. It is the church of the living God. God, God is real. God is among us. God is doing a work. We need to understand that. We need to appreciate that. So after Paul is giving all these directions, okay, here's the qualifications for deacons. Here are the qualifications for pastors. Here's, the, here's some instructions about women in the church. Here's instructions about prayer. Here's some instructions about false prophets. He said, Paul, th- he says, Timothy, this is instructions because you're in the house of God. You're in the house of the living God. And then he says, which is, he describes it as, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I ran across a message that Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage right here, what, back in the late 1800s. And one of the reasons I suppose Charles Spurgeon is one of the most quoted preachers of all time is because the man was so articulate, so insightful, and yet so practical. So between here and the end of the message, uh, I'm going to share with you several quotes from Charles Spurgeon, you know, that relate to this passage specifically. First one coming right now. This is Charles Spurgeon. Now, Paul calls the church of God, he refers to it, you know, the the Bible refers to the the ground and the pillar of truth. He refers to the ground as the basement, but it's the same, that's what he's referring to, the ground. Now, Paul calls the church of God the basement or ground and pillar of the truth. What does he mean? Notice that she is not the creator of the truth, the church, nor the inventor and fashioner of doctrine. You would think from the talk of certain divines or certain ministers, he says, nowadays, that the church of God must surely be a manufactory of notions 
A school of inventions where clever men think out new gospels for new times or like spiders spin out of themselves fresh webs as the old ones are broken. He's talking about what was, what's going on now, going on back then. That men are coming up with their own ideas. Men are coming up with their own ways of doing church rather than looking to God and looking to his word. He goes on to say, our admiration is solicited for those who are abreast of the times. He said, that's who we look to. People that are current, people that are with it, people that are innovative. Our admiration is solicited for those who are abreast of the times and who keep pace with the wonderful advance of the 19th century. Now the church of God is not the inventor of the truth. She is a pillar and basement of it. In other words, the, the, the people in the church say, we are not the inventors of the truth. The truth is given to us by God. But we are to be the ones that support it, that, that lift it up, that, that proclaim it. So that, that asks an obvious question. What is truth? You know, that question was asked back in the time of Jesus in John chapter 18, 38. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? Do you know the answer to that basic fundamental question, what is truth? You ask the liberals and the leftists today, they cannot give you an answer. They sure won't say God, will they? Is there a liberal or a leftist you know that would say, oh, the truth is God is truth and his word is truth? No. They will probably say something like, well, what's true for you isn't true for me. What's true for me may not be true for you, which is saying there is no truth, which ex- explains the emptiness of man. 